Chapter 17 of The Cave in the Mountain by Edward Ellis A Fortunate Diversion Mickey O'Rooney had not thought of the opening over their heads since the firing of his rifle shot, and he now started and looked upward as if fearful that he had committed a fatal oversight, but he saw or heard nothing to excite alarm. "'Where are they?' he asked in a whisper. "'They're up there. I've seen them peep down more than once.' "'What were they peeping for? I suppose to find out where we were.' "'Be the powers, but I showed them what I was when I fired me gun.' "'That may be, but you didn't stay there, and perhaps they were looking for me.' "'Did they find you?' "'I don't think they did. You know I was in behind the boulder with my head thrown back so that it was easy for me to look up, and there wasn't enough branches and leaves over my head to shut out my view, so I lay there looking up, watching and listening, when I saw an Indian peep over the top there as though he was looking for us. Did you see more than one? I am sure there were two, and I think three. They didn't ask you any question? I didn't hear any. What do you suppose they mean to try? I thought they meant to find out where we are hiding and then roll stones down on us. They can do that, you know, without our getting a chance to stop them. If we squeeze in under that same place, said Mickey, indicating the inward slope of the rock, they can't hit us. But I don't believe that such is their intention. What do you suppose it to be? That's hard to say, but these varmints ain't ready to shoot us just yet. Leastways, they don't want to do so until they're sure there ain't anything else left for them to do. They wish to make us prisoners. That's it exactly. Well, if they're willing to wait, they'll be sure to have us, for there isn't any water here for us to drink, and we can't get along without that. The Irishman suddenly slapped his chest and sighed as though he missed something from the pocket. And be the pears, he exclaimed, I've lost that mate, and there must have been enough to last us a week or two. How could you have lost that? asked Fred, who was much disappointed. And must have slid out when we were riding so hard, or else when we lift our horses. Are you sure it wasn't lost somewhere among these trees where we can get it again? But he was confident that such was not the case, and he was not disposed to mourn the loss a great deal. They could do longer without food than they could without drink, and he was of the opinion that this problem would be solved before they were likely to perish from the want of either. Did you get a fair look at any of the spalpeens that were so ill-mannered as to pipe down in you? Yes, and there was one—shh! There he is now. The two peered upward through the leaves, and saw the head and shoulders of an Apache who was looking down into the ravine. He was not directly above them, but a dozen feet off to the left. He seemed to be trying to locate the party that had fired two such fatal shots, and therefore could not have known where he was. The face of the Indian could be seen very distinctly, and it was one with more individual character than any Mickey had as yet noticed. It was not handsome, nor very homely, but that of a man in the prime of life, with a prominent nose, a regular contour of countenance, for an Indian. The face was painted, as was the long black hair which dangled about his shoulders, 
His eye was a powerful black one which flitted restlessly as he keenly searched the ravine below. Not seeing that which he wished, he arose to his feet and walked slowly along and away from where the fugitives were crouching. That is, his face was turned toward the main ravine or pass, while he stepped upon the very edge of the fissure, moving with a certain deliberation and dignity as he searched the space below for the man and boy whom he was so anxious to secure. "'I wonder if he ain't the leader,' Mickey said in a whisper. "'I never saw better stare than that. "'I should think he was the leader. "'Don't you know him?' "'How should I know him? "'I never travelled much in Injun society. "'Are you and him acquainted?' "'He's Lone Wolf, their great war-chief.' "'You don't say so!' exclaimed the astonished Irishman, staring at him. "'He's just the spalpeen I loaded me gun for, and here goes!' "'Softly raising the hammer of his rifle,' He lifted the weapon to his shoulder, but before he could make his aim certain, the red scamp stepped aside and vanished from view. Oh, "'That's enough to break a man's heart,' wailed the chagrined Mickey. "'Why wasn't the spalpeen thoughtful and kind enough to eat until I could have made sartin of him? But sorrow and disappointment await us all, as Barney Mulligan said when his friend wouldn't fight him.' Maybe he'll show himself again. Whether or not Lone Wolf learned of the precise location of the parties for whom he was searching can only be conjectured, but during the ten minutes that Mickey held his weapon ready to shoot him at sight, he took good care to keep altogether invisible. The Irishman was still looking for his reappearance when another singular occurrence took place. There was a whoop or rather a howl, followed by a fall of a warrior who was so near the edge of the narrow ravine that when he came down a portion of his body was seen by those below. The dull and rather distant report of a gun told the curious story. The same rifle that had picked off one of the Apaches at the mouth of the fissure had done the same thing in the case of one at the top. The aim in both instances was unerring. Freddy, me lad, said Mickey a moment later, when we rushed in here with the spalpeen snuffin at our heels, I hadn't any more hope that we'd ever get clear of him than the man who was transported to Botany Bay had of cutting out Prince Albert and Queen Victoria's graces. Have you any more hope now? I have. We've got a friend on the outside, and he's doing us good service, as he has already proved. If Lone Wolf wasn't among that crowd, I don't believe they would stay after what has took place. There's nothing to scare an Injun like them things which he don't understand. I should think that that rifle shot is proof enough that somebody is firing into them. By the powers, but you know little of Injun devilments as I've learned em from Soot Simpson. How do you know but that's a trick to make these Apaches believe that there's but a single Kiowa over there popping at em, when there may be half a hundred waiting for the chance to clean em out? Maybe that is Soot himself. You know you have been expecting him. That can't be him, replied Mickey with a shake of his head. He would have showed himself long ago when he could be sure of helping us. There must be some redskins over there that have put up a job on Lone Wolf and his scamps, 
whoever it is, whether one or a dozen, they are helping us mightily. So it looks. Though they don't mean it for that, and after driving these spalpeens away, they may come over to clean us out themselves. Nothing was heard of the redskins above for a considerable time after the shot mentioned. Then the body was suddenly whisked out of sight. It is a principle with Indians to bring away their dead from any fight in which they may have fallen. At the imminent risk of losing his own life, a warrior had stolen up and drawn away the remains of his former comrade. The mysterious shots seemed to come from the other side of the ravine, but they naturally had a very demoralizing effect upon the party. Lone Wolf was not only brave, but sagacious and prudent. He was not the chief to allow his warriors to stand idly and permit themselves to be picked off one by one by an unseen enemy, but for the latter he would have descended into the fissure, and with several of his most reliable braves captured and secured Mickey and his companion at all hazards. But what assurance could he have that after he and his men had entered the little ravine, a whole party of Kiowas would not swarm in, overwhelm them, and make off with their horses. So the leader concluded for the time being to remain outside where his line of retreat would be open, while he could arrange his plans for disposing of the whites at his leisure. Lone Wolf dispatched two of his most skillful scouts, one to the right, the other to the left, with orders to get to the rear of the enemy no matter how long a detour was necessary. In case they were unable to extinguish them, they were to signal or return for assistance. After sending off his trusty messengers, Lone Wolf concluded to hold back until their return, keeping himself and his braves pretty well concealed, but guarding against the capture of their horses in the ravine below, or the escape of the two fugitives who might attempt to take advantage of the diversion. At the end of an hour, nothing had been seen or heard of the Apache scouts sent out, and the chief dispatched another to learn what was going on and what was the cause of the trouble. During this hour, not a rifle shot was detected by the waiting, listening ears. Another half-hour passed away, and the third man sent out by Lone Wolf came back alone, and with astounding tidings. He had found both of the warriors lying within a few yards of each other, stone dead. He sought for some explanation of the strange occurrence, but found none, and returned with the news to his leader. The latter was about as furious as a wild Indian could be without exploding. Lone Wolf had his own theory of the thing, and he inquired particularly as to the manner in which the fatal wounds seemed to have been inflicted. When they were described, all doubt was removed from the mind of the chieftain. He knew where the fatal shots came from, and he determined that there was no better time to square accounts. Calling the larger portion of his company about him, he started backward, away from the ravine, his purpose being to reach the rear of his enemy by a long detour. End of chapter 17 Chapter 18 An Old Acquaintance All this was grist for Mickey and Fred. 
the long silence and inaction so far as these two were concerned of the apaches convinced the fugitives that some important interruption was going on and that it could not fail to operate in the most direct way in their favor it was well into the afternoon when the collision occurred between them and the apaches and enough time had already passed to bring the night quite close at hand an hour or so more and darkness would be upon them i don't believe the spalpeens have found out just the precise spot where we've stood we said mickey in his cautious undertone to his companion for i've no evidence that such is the case they may take it into their heads to come into the fissure again and then where are we right here every time we couldn't get a better spot unless it might be at the mouth don't you think we had better go there asked the lad who did not feel the assurance of his friend i see nothing to be gained by the same as tim o'looney said when some one told him that honesty was the best policy if we start to return there they'll find out where we are and begin to roll stones on us i don't want to go along dodging rocks as big as a house with an occasional rifle shot thrown in by way of variety don't you fear they will creep in and try to surprise us not before dark and then we can shift our position do you believe there is any hope at all for us in the way of getting out the irishman was careful not to arouse too strong hopes in the breast of the lad and he tried to be guarded in his reply an hour ago i would have sworn if there were a half dozen of us in here there was no show of our getting away with our topknots for reason that there is but one hole through which we could sneak and there's twenty of em sitting round now and watching for us but i feel that there is some ground for hope what reason for your saying there is hope isn't it just as hard to get out the front without being seen it might be just now but there's no tellin what the mither spellpeens mean to do arter the sun goes down suppose they get lone wolf and his men in such a big fight that they'd have their hands full what's to hinder our sneakin out the back door durin the rumpus huntin up our mustangs or somebody else's and resumin our journey to new boston which these spalpeens were so impertinent as to interrupt a short time since fred munson felt that this was about as rose-coloured a view as could be taken and indeed a great deal rosier than the situation warranted at least in his opinion mickey if that isn't counting chickens before they're hatched i don't know what is while you're supposing things suppose these indians don't do all that where's going to come our chance of creeping out without their knowing it mickey scratched his head in his puzzled way and replied i'm sorry to observe that you persist in axing naughty questions as i reproved me landlord for doing in the old country when he found me digging praties in his patch there's a good many ways in which we may get a chance to creep out and i'm bound to say there be a good many more by which we can't but the good lord has been so good to us that i can't help believing he won't let us drop just yet though he may think that the best thing for us both will be to let the varmints come in and scalp us there was a good deal of hope in the irishman and a certain contagion marked it which fred munson felt but he could not entertain as much of it as did his older and more experienced friend still he was ready to make any attempt which offered the least chance of flight he was hungry and thirsty and there was no way of supplying the wants 
and he dreaded the night of suffering to be succeeded by the still more tormenting day. It was very warm in the ravine, where not a stir of air could reach them. If they suffered themselves to be cooped up there through the night, they would be certain to continue there during the following day, for it was not to be expected by the wildest enthusiast that any way of escape presented itself under the broad sunlight. The following night must find them more weakened in every respect, for the chewing of leaves, while it might afford temporary relief, could not be expected to amount to much in a run of twenty-four hours. Clearly, if anything at all was to be done or attempted, it should not be deferred beyond the evening, which was now close at hand. But the objection again came up that whatever Mickey and Fred decided on hinged upon the action of the parties with whom they had nothing to do and with whom, as a matter of course, it was impossible to communicate. If the Kiowas, as they were suspected to be, should choose to draw off and have nothing further to do with the business, the situation of the fugitives must become as despairing and hopeless as in the first case. There perhaps was some reason for the declaration of Mickey that the strangers, their allies for the time being, were a great deal more likely to perform their mission before the sun should rise again. Consequently, the next few hours were likely to settle the question one way or the other. "'Do you know whether any of the Apaches are still up there?' asked Fred. "'Yes, there be one or two. I've seen em since we've been talkin', but they're a good deal more careful of showin' their ugly faces. They peep over now and then and dodge back again before I can get a chance to pop away.' "'Would you try and shoot them if you had the chance?' "'Not just yet. "'For it would show them where we are, and they would be likely to bother us.' The two carried out this policy of keeping their precise location from the Indians so long as it was possible, which would have been a very short time but for the terror inspired among the Apaches from the shots across the pass. Mickey had no suspicion that Lone Wolf and his best warriors were absent on a hunt for the annoying cause of these shots. Had he known it, he might have been tempted upon a reconnaissance of his own before sunset, and so it was well, perhaps, that he remained in ignorance. Within the next hour night descended, and the ravine, excluding the rays of the moon, became so dark that Mickey believed it safe to venture out of their niche and approach the pass into which they had no idea of entering until the ground had been thoroughly reconnoitred. "'The spalpeens will be listening,' whispered Mickey as they crept out. "'And so ye needn't indulge in any whistling or hurrying or dancing jigs on the way to our destination.' Fred appreciated their common peril too well to allow any betrayal through his remissness. Favored by the darkness, they crept carefully along over the rocks and boulders and through the vines and vegetation, until they were so close that the man halted. "'Do you mind and keep as still as a dead man? But we're so close now that it won't do to get any closer till we know what the spellpins are doing.' The two occupied this position for some time, during which nothing caught their ears to betray the presence of men or animals. Feeling the great value of time, Mickey was on the point of creeping forth when he became aware that there was somebody moving near him. The sound was very slight, 
but the proof was all the more positive on that account for it is only by such means that the professional scout judges of the proceedings of a foe near him his first dread was that the individual was in the rear having entered the fissure while they were at the opposite end and then allowed them to pass by him but when the faint rustling caught his ear again there could be no doubt that it was in front of him one of the spalpeens maybe lone wolf himself coming in to learn about our health was his conclusion though the situation was too critical to allow him to communicate with the lad behind him reaching his hand back he touched his arm as a warning to the most perfect silence the boulder against which he was partly resting was no more quiet and motionless than fred who had nerved himself to meet the worst or best fortune a few minutes more listening satisfied mickey that the redskin was not a dozen feet in front and that a particularly large boulder which was partly revealed by some stray moonlight that made its way through the limbs and branches was sheltering the scout not only that but he became convinced that the indian was moving around the left side of the rock hugging it and keeping so close to the ground that the faintest shadowy resemblance of a human figure could not be detected it was at this juncture that the irishman determined upon a performance perfectly characteristic and amusing in its originality carefully drawing his knife from his pocket he managed to cut a switch some five or six feet in length the end of which was slightly split he next took one of his matches and struck it against the rock holding and nursing the flame so far down behind it that not the slightest sign of it could be seen from the outside before the match had cleared itself of the brimstone, Mickey secured the other end of the stick in his hand. His next proceeding was to raise this stick, move it around in front, and then suddenly extend it at arm's length. This brought the burning match into the dense shadow alongside the rock and directly over the head of the amazed scout. The Hibernian character of the act was that, while it revealed to him his man, it also in a less degree betrayed the location of mickey himself whose delighted astonishment may be imagined when instead of discerning a crouching painted apache he recognized the familiar figure of sut simpson the scout what in thunder are you driving at it growled the no less astonished sut as the flame was almost brought against his face do you take me for a keg of powder and do you want to touch me off no but i was thinking that that long red nose o yourn was so full of whiskey that it would burn and i wanted to make sartin end of chapter eighteen chapter nineteen how it was done from the very depths of despair mickey o'rooney and fred munson were lifted to the most buoyant heights of hope i always took you for a hoodlum growled the scout but you've just showed yourself a bigger one than I supposed. You're order fetched a lantern with you so as to use nights and walking around the country and looking for folks. Begotter, if that isn't the idea, responded the Irishman with mock enthusiasm. Only I was considering, wouldn't it be as well to call out the name of me friends? You know what a sweet voice I have. When I used to thry and sing in church, the old gentleman always lambasted me for filing the saw on Sunday. 
but why don't you creep forward and extend me your paw as the bear said to the man sut however did not move but retained his crouching position beside the large boulder speaking in the lowest and most guarded voice it won't do we haven't any time to fool away hereabouts is it yunker we ye right at me heels as me uncle concluded when the bulldog nabbed him come ahead then shoot me but this ain't a healthy place to loaf in just now the patches are too plenty and too close we must light out shan't i strike another match to light us out by hold your tongue will you creep right along behind me without making any noise at all and don't rise to your feet till you see me do it and don't open your meat traps to speak till i axes you a question if it isn't till a month from now do you understand me mickey replied that he had a general idea of his meaning and that he might as well go ahead with the circus fred had caught the whispered conversation and of course knew what it meant as mickey turned round to see where he was he found him at his elbow Shh, come ahead now we're going to creep straight across the pass till we reach the other side when we'll go down that some ways and i'll tell you the rest a second or two afterward the long wiry frame of the scout emerged from the dense shadow at the side of the boulder and crept forward in the direction of the middle of the main ravine or pass close behind him followed mickey and fred the trio forming a curious procession as they carefully picked their way across the moonlit gorge the grass for most of the distance being so dense that they were pretty well screened from view the directions of the scout were carefully obeyed to the letter for indeed there could have been no excuse for disregarding them he understood perfectly the nature of the task he had undertaken and the risk he ran was entirely for the benefit of his friends one of the first and most important requisites of a scout is patience without which he is sure to commit all manner of errors in the present case it seemed to fred that much valuable time could be saved if they would simply rise to their feet and make a dash straight across the ravine even mickey was of the same opinion at least to the extent of varying the pace so as to go slowly part of the time and rapidly the rest as the ground became unfavorable or favorable but it was very clear that sut simpson held very different views a piece of machinery could not have advanced with a more regular movement than did he a movement that was excessively trying to an impatient person who could not understand his reason for it Mickey could see that he turned his head from side to side and was using his eyes and ears to the extent of their ability. At the end of some fifteen or twenty minutes, the base of the perpendicular wall on the opposite side was reached, and greatly to the relief of his companions, he rose to his feet, they following suit. Begara, but that's a sweet relief, as me Aunt Bridget observed when her old man, a turn of the head and an impatient gesture from the scout, silenced mickey before he had time to complete the remark he subsided instantly and began a debate with himself as to whether he ought not to apologize for his forgetfulness but he concluded to wait the long lank figure of sut simpson looked as if it was a shadow slowly stealing along the dark face of the rock followed by that of mickey and the lad they were as silent as phantoms each walking as tenderly and carefully as though he was a burglar breaking into the house of some sleeping merchant whose slumbers were as light as down 
Mickey had no doubt that this was continued twice as long as necessary, although he conscientiously strove to carry out the wishes of the scout in that respect. He stumbled once or twice, but that was because of the treacherous nature of the ground. They must have journeyed fully a quarter of a mile in this fashion before Sut held up in the least. During all this time, so far as Mickey could judge, nothing had been seen or heard of the Apaches, who supposedly would have guarded the outlet in which the two had taken refuge with a closeness that could not have permitted such an escape. But not one had been encountered. It was a most extraordinary occurrence all through, and Mickey found it hard to understand how one man, skilled and brave though he was, could perform such a Herculean task. For there could be no doubt that to him under Providence belonged the exclusive credit. Of course it was Sut who had fired the shot that saved Fred from a terrible death by the grizzly bear, and his well-aimed and opportune shots had done the fugitives inestimable service when they were crouching in the fissure and despairing of all hope. But there must have been something back of all this. The scout must have possessed a greater power which had not become manifest to his friends as yet. "'Now ye can walk with more ease,' he said as he dropped back beside his companions, but at the same time don't talk too loud. Let us all keep as much in the shed as we can, for there may be other varmints around, and there's no telling when you're likely to run again em. But where are the spalpeens that shut us up in that split in the rocks? They're all behind us, every varmint of them, and there they're likely to stay for a while. But, Mickey, I want you to tell me what happened after we parted among these mountains and took different routes for the younker here. The Irishman related his experience in as brief a manner as possible, the scout listening with a great deal of interest and asking a question or two. The luck was yours, he said, when the narrator concluded, of getting on the right track while I got on the wrong. Mickey scratched his head in his old quizzical way. The same luck befell the Spalpeens and myself. I first got on their track, and then they got on mine, so we'll call that square as Mike Harrigan did when he went back the second night and took the other goat so as to make a pair. That was now to a bad fix when you're pitched into that cave and couldn't find the way out till the wolf showed the younker. But it wasn't so bad as you think, cause I'd been sure to find you were there. I know the way in and out of it, and I could have got into it and fixed you out, but you were lucky enough not to need me. How was it that you were so long turning up after we separated? Well, Lone Wolf and his braves rode so fast that it was a good while before I cotched up and found that he hadn't the younger with him. Then, in course, I turned back and found that you'd flopped so much off and on your trail that there was a good deal of trouble to keep track of you. Where did you first catch the light of Mickey O'Rooney's elegant and expressive countenance? I saw you stop to camp this morning a good ways up the pass where you cooked your piece of antelope meat and swallowed enough to last you for a week. "'It was you that shot the grizzly bear just as he was going to kill me?' inquired Fred, with a pleased look in the scarred face of the scout, who smiled in turn as he answered, "'I have a suspicion it were me and nobody else.' "'Why didn't you come forward and introduce yourself?' inquired Mickey. 
It was all a mistake to think that we felt too proud to notice ye, even if ye ain't as good-looking as myself. Well, I thought I'd watch your while, believing I could do ye more service than by joining in, as was showed by what took place afterwards. Where would you have been? If I'd got shit up in that trap with ye, Lone Wolf would have had our hair long ago. But how did you manage to fool the pack into giving us a chance to creep out? That was easy enough when you understand it. I thought it would come easier to a man who understood how to do it than it did to one who didn't know anything about it. After picking off one or two of the varmints, that made Lone Wolf mad, and he sent out a couple of his warriors to wipe me out. He didn't think I knowed his game, but I did, and when they got around to where I was, I just slid em under for they knowed what the matter was. When he sent a third varmint arter them, and he went back and told the chief that the first two had gone to the eternal hunting grounds, he was so all fired mad that he left only a half dozen to watch the hole where you was to come out, while he took the rest and come arter me. I know a good many a lone wolf signals, added the scout with a chuckle, and arter he'd been on this side for a while, I dipped down into the pass and signaled for the rest of them to come. They come, every one of them, and then I went for you, not certain whether you were mashed or not. We got away in good time to save ourselves running again em. End of chapter 19 Chapter 20 Sut's Campfire But where are Lone Wolf and his warriors? asked Fred. Back yonder somewhere, replied the scout indifferently. They came over into the woods this side of the pass to look for the Kiowas that had been picking off their warriors. It'll take em some time to find the varmints, I reckon. It's myself that would like to ax a conundrum, said Mickey, provided that none of the gentlemen present object to the scene. Sut gave the Irishman to understand that he was always pleased to hear any inquiry from him, if he asked it respectfully. The question is this. How long are we to keep tramping along in this style? Is it to be for one week or two, or for a month? The reason for me making this respectful inquiry is that the laddie and myself have become accustomed to riding upon horses, and it goes rather rough to make the change, as Jimmy O'Brien said when he broke through the ice and was forced to take a wash, after having done without the same thing for several months. This gentle intimation from Mickey that he preferred to ride was promptly answered by the scout to the effect that his own Mustang was some distance away in the wood, but he was unable to locate either of theirs, which they abandoned at the time they took such hurried refuge in the narrow ravine. "'But what's become of all the creatures?' persisted Mickey, who was anything but satisfied at this plodding along. "'Lone Wolf and his spalpeens did not raid away upon their horses.' "'No.' "'Which you may sculpt me if any of them are big enough fools to leave their animals where there seems to be any danger of other folks laying hands on them. When the rest of his band come over arter him, as they supposed in answer to their signal, they took mighty good care not to leave their horses where there were any chance for the cowards to put their claws on them. 
They rode off up the pass till they could reach a place where the brutes could climb up and join their owner. Then I'm to consider the question settled, responded Mickey, and we're to tramp all the way to New Boston if the place is still standing. Of course we can do the same, which I take to be three or four thousand miles, provided we have the time to do it and ain't disturbed. Sot, after permitting his friend to hold this opinion for a time, corrected it in his own way. There ain't no use of trying to reach home on foot any more than there is a climbing up that wall with your toes. After we strike camp, we'll stop long enough to eat two or three buffaloes and rest, and while you're at that sort of biz, I'll light out and scare up something in the way of hossflesh. There's plenty of it in this part of the world, and a man needn't hunt long to find it. Are you satisfied, Mickey? The Irishman could not feel otherwise, and he expressed his profound obligation to the scout for the invaluable services he had already rendered them. Lone Wolf knows me, said Sut, making a rather sudden turn in the conversation. Me and him have had some tough scrimmages years ago as I was telling that Barnwell, or Big Fowl, rather, that has had the charge of starting the place called New Boston. I've got enough scars to remember him by, and he carries a few that he got from me. I have a style of sliding his warriors under when I run afoul of them that Lone Wolf understands, and he's learned long ago who it was that wiped out them two varmints he sent out to look round after me. Hello, here we are. As he spoke, he reached a break in the continuity of the wall to which they had been clinging. The opening was somewhat similar to that into which Mickey and Fred had been driven in such a hurry, except that it was broader and the slope seemed more gradual. Simpson turned abruptly to the left, and they began clambering upward. It took a considerable time to reach the level, and when they did so, the scout led them back to the edge of the pass, which wound along fifty or a hundred feet below them. "'That's where we've come from,' said he, as they looked down in the moonlit gorge. "'And while that's mighty handy at times, yet it's a bad place to get cotched in, as you found out for yourselves.' "'No one will dispute you, Soot, especially when Lone Wolf and a score of spalpeens appears in front of you, and when you turn about to leave, you find him and a dozen more in your rear.' "'That was a smart trick, was the same. But if he hadn't showed himself in both places at the same time, we would have stood a chance of giving him the slip.' as we had good horses under us. Can't always be certain of that. Them varmints have ways of telegraphing ahead of you to some of their friends so that you'll run heels over head into some trap unless you understands their devilments and tricky ways. When we were in camp, said Fred, we saw the smoke of a little fire nearby. Was it yours? At war, replied Sut with a curious solemnity. I kindled that fire and nursed it. Well, it bothered us a good deal. We didn't know what to make of it, Mickey and I. It bothered the varmints a good deal more, which were what it were intended for. I meant it for a cow a signal fire, and if it hadn't been started about that time, you did some other grizzly bears down on you in the shape of patches. But it didn't help us all the way through. They came down on us a little while afterwards. That were accident, said Sut. A purest kind of accident, one of them things that is like to happen and which we don't look for, a kind of a surprise like. 
"'As me father observed when he found we had twins in the family,' interrupted Mickey. "'The chances are ten to one that thing couldn't happen again, but luck just then were the other way. Lone Wolf and his men were on their way home, and had no more idea of meeting you folks than he had to action me to come down and act as bridesmaid for his daughter when she gets married. Do you suppose he knew the suit? asked the Irishman. Isn't likely that he did at first, but the sight of the yunker must have made him suspicious, and arter he rammed ye into the rocks, I guess he knew pretty well how things stood, and he were bound to have both of you. What made him want me so bad? asked Fred. I never understood how that was. The tall scout standing on the edge of the broad, deep ravine looked down at the handsome face of the boy to whom he felt attracted by a stronger affection than either he or the Irishman suspected. "'Bless you soul, my younger, that ere lone wolf that they call such a great chief, and I may as well own up and say that he is, is heavy on ransoms, and he ain't the only chief that's in that line.' That skunk runs off with men, women, and boys, and his rule is not to give em up again till he gets a good round price. He calculated on making a good thing off of you, and I rather think he would. Does he always give up those, then, that their friends want to ransom? Not by any means. It's altogether as the notion takes him. He sports more scopes and top knots than any of his brother chiefs, and he never lets his stock run low. As them other varmints creep up onto him, he shoots ahead by scooping in more top knots, and there's no use of their trying to butt again him. He's way ahead of them, and there he's bound to stay, and they can't help it. Then he might have used me the same way, after all the pains he took to get me. Just as like as not, he's as ugly as the devil himself. Two years ago, he stole a good-looking gal up near Santa Fe. He had a chance for the biggest kind of ransom, but the poor gal had long golden hair, and the skunk wanted it for an ornament, and he took it, too, and thinks more of it than any out of his hundred and more. Arter getting your home among his people, and arter he'd found out there's a good show for a big ransom from your father, just as like as not he'd make up his mind that the best thing he could do would be to knock you on the head and raise your hair. And he'd do it, too. Well, thank heaven none of us are in his hands now, and I pray that he may never get us. The three were still standing as close to the edge of the ravine as was prudent so that the moonlight fell about them. They were enabled to see quite a long distance up and down the pass, the uncertain light, however, causing objects to assume a fantastic contour, which would have made an inexperienced person uncertain whether he was looking down upon animate or inanimate objects. They were on the point of moving away when Fred Munson exclaimed with some excitement, The country seems to be full of campfires or signal fires. Yonder is one just started. He pointed up the ravine and to the other side where an unusually bright star seemed to be rising over the solitude beyond. It was about a quarter of a mile away, and its brightness such as to show its nature. Yes, that's one of them, said the scout in a tone which showed that he had no particular interest in it. "'Can you raid with the same means?' asked Mickey, who was gradually accumulating a wonderful faith in the woodcraft of the scout. But the latter laughed. 
it would have been the height of absurdity for him to have pretended that he could make anything of the meaning of a simple fire burning at night it was only when actual signals were made that he could tell what they were intended for it's some of the patches i s'pose lone wolf is in trouble but i don't know as we've got anything to do with it the night is getting along and we ought to be back to camp by this time without waiting longer he turned about and moved back into the wood followed by his two friends it seemed strange to both of the latter that he could have left his mustang so far away from the place where his self-imposed duties had called him to bring to naught the cunning of his great enemy the principal war-chief of the apaches but the truth was the camps of the scout and the redskin were not so widely separated as mickey and fred believed he had selected the best site possible and took a roundabout course in going to or from it as he had more means given to him of concealing his trail there were places where the soil was so rocky and stony that the foot left not the slightest imprint of its passage they had gone but a short distance from the ravine when they encountered one of the very stretches so valuable to persons in their predicament no grass or vegetation of any kind impeded their way and it was like walking over a hard uncarpeted floor making their way across this they struck into a wood that was denser than any they had encountered thus far there their progress was slow but they continued steadily forward talking but little and then in guarded tones about the hour of midnight the camp of sut simpson was reached End of chapter twenty